Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Welcome to the playoffs. TCU versus Michigan, Georgia versus Ohio State. Stetson Bennett goes for back-to-back national championships, and you can be ready for all the action with BetOnline Sportsbook. Use our promo code BLEAV50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to get a 50% welcome bonus using the link in the description to this episode. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good afternoon or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live, because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is January 4th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in. However, and whenever it is that you may be listening. Welcome into the show, everybody. We are going to pick up where we left off on Well, I guess last night, because I'm recording this on Tuesday night, but we're going to pick up where we left off 24 hours ago discussing DeMar Hamlin, because DeMar Hamlin, who suffered what we knew last night was an apparent cardiac arrest, we can now confirm was a cardiac arrest on the field in the Buffalo Bills versus Cincinnati Bengals game. DeMar Hamlin suffering a cardiac arrest has had new developments within the last 24 hours. We will talk about those. And as we did yesterday, take the opportunity to discuss some macro level conversations about how sports reflect society and the need to instigate and influence change while most of the sports world has paused and taken time to reflect. And when we pause, take time to heal and reflect, we can also instigate incredible levels of change. And we're already seeing that in certain places in the short term. And there is opportunity to effectuate long-term change that we will discuss later on the show. Before we get to that, though, again, the most prevalent information, and I'm going to once again announce that we are recording this at 6.22 West Coast time on Tuesday, January 3rd. So if there's any new information that comes available in the time frame since we finished recording uh, or since this podcast has been released, again, acknowledge that uh, 6.22 p.m. on Tuesday, Tuesday, January 3rd is the time with which we are recording this. Uh, We're going to uh, read directly the statement from the family of DeMar Hamlin. It was released uh, earlier in the afternoon on Tuesday. Uh, I'm taking this from Jordan Rooney's Twitter account. Jordan Rooney is um, the friend and marketing rep for DeMar Hamlin. For immediate release from the family of DeMar Hamlin, quote, On behalf of our family, we want to express our sincere gratitude for the love and support shown to DeMar during this challenging time. We are deeply moved by the prayers, kind words, and donations from fans around the country. 
We also want to acknowledge the dedicated first responders and healthcare professionals at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center who have provided exceptional care to DeMar. We feel so blessed to be part of the Buffalo Bills organization and to have their support. We also want to thank Coach Taylor and the Bengals for everything they've done. Your generosity and compassion means the world to us. Please keep DeMar in your prayers. We will release updates as soon as we have them. Thank you, the Hamlin family. So again, that was released in the afternoon on Tuesday. In the evening on Tuesday, uh, DeMar Hamlin's uncle uh, did a little bit of a media press tour, and uh, DeMar Hamlin's uncle went on ESPN and CNN and NFL Network to be the person who spoke on behalf of the family as the family works through DeMar's recovery. And uh, DeMar Hamlin's uncle talked about how they were in their home in, um, in Pittsburgh. And then when they saw what happened, they immediately began driving to uh, to Cincinnati from Pittsburgh, uh, which I believe is about a three to four hour drive. And so they began making the drive to Ohio to be with DeMar and the family in that moment. And uh, he talked about how he cried he cried harder than he's ever cried before because his nephew was uh, essentially resuscitated on the field is the way that he described it is that he was not breathing and his heart had stopped and they brought they resuscitated him with first response on the field uh, as we discussed yesterday took him to the UC hospital where there's a level one trauma center and he was receiving medical care through the night um, when he first got there he was pra- placed in critical condition and um, DeMar Hamlin's uncle who again spoke on a number of media platforms in the afternoon talked about how uh, overnight he needed uh, breathing 100% on a ventilator and how now he is down to about 50% of breathing from a vent 50% of his breathing being required by a ventilator, which is improvement, certainly from needing a ventilator to breathe and to stay alive to now only needing the ventilator at 50% capacity. So there are improvements. There is hope greater than perhaps in the immediate aftermath of uh, two hours after watching DeMar Hamlin collapse on the field from cardiac arrest. Uh, there was Greater hope 24 hours later that there will be a a recovery for DeMar Hamlin and that he will leave the hospital hopefully sometime in the near future. Whatever that may look like, we don't have the information to determine, but there is optimism relative to where we were 24 hours ago, and that is the prevalent information with which we can provide as it relates to the status and well-being of Damar Hamlin. So yesterday, after bringing all of the prevalent information to the conversation, what I wanted to do was talk about how, in the absence of information, what we could do in that moment. And the thing that I wanted to talk about yesterday in the immediate two-hour aftermath of DeMar Hamlin collapsing on the field was talking about empathetic listening and being a support system for someone who's experienced a traumatic event. And what we talked about yesterday was being an empathetic support system for someone who has gone through this, who has gone through this situation immediately impacted by it, whether that be a family member of DeMar Hamlin, someone with a close personal connection, people in Pittsburgh, and dealing with a traumatic situation such as that requires 
a lot of care and as we saw in images that I feel a little icky about being circulated all over the place with the the vulnerabilities of these players being broadcast to the world without necessarily their approval or their um you know wanting to have that broadcast I know that that's a smaller thing to think about within this context, but feels a little icky. But we've seen the images of players crying and supporting each other. Gabe Davis, I remember seeing running away from the pile and breaking down crying on the field and either an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman running over to make sure that he was okay. And um, there's images that have gone around of players trying to support each other. And there's obviously the image of Josh Allen being uh, physically shaken by it, uh, Tredavious White being in shock, Stephon Diggs crying, a, a number of players it, crying and then huddling up in a circle and I assume giving some sort of prayer in the aftermath. And so you've seen those images of people who are immediately impacted because there were cameras all over the place to experience a traumatic event. And ultimately having those cameras all over the place provides a great insight into what going through stressful and traumatic situations that are life and death and you have a total absence of information, we got a glimpse into what that looks like. And having that immediate impact moment that not only we could see but then could also share with other people and hear from their experiences, it's an incredibly powerful tool to have. And while I do feel icky about the immediate aftermath of ESPN showing people crying on the field and people emotionally shaken by this fact. Um, It ultimately wasn't, like I said, it's not the most important thing in that circumstance, but now that we're 24 hours removed, it does provide an opportunity for people to discuss whether or not they want that to be shown and hopefully if they do to help be a a conversation stimulator and help people feel emotions and potentially feel connected to someone else and something that I talked about yesterday is um, obviously not everyone is immediately impacted by this so if you're someone who is you know secondarily impacted if you're someone who's shaken by the idea of did we just watch someone uh almost you know did, as it was described that we watched someone's heart stop on a football field and they had to have their heartbeat and breath restored on the football field through immediate first aid and CPR and so in that moment if you feel to be shaken by this case hopefully there's a support system you can turn to to work through some of those feelings. And if you don't have a support system such as that or through social media, reach out to me. I'm a support system if you need it. I know I can't provide the best support system, but there's links in the description to this episode to all of our social medias. So being someone who is being a support system requires empathetic listening and for people to work through their emotions. And with an absence of information, it's really important to respect those emotions because they can fluctuate wildly and the increase in information will allow us to better emotionally process these situations. And so this is something that in the immediate aftermath is important, which is why I wanted to talk about it yesterday. There's all sorts of psychology terms and, uh, you know, this is just we're very social animals and sometimes humans need this connection in certain places. And yet still 24 hours removed, the immediate shock is gone, but the feelings of grief, the feelings of sadness and the feelings of dealing with stress and trauma, they don't go away 
even if you're not someone who is immediately impacted by such a situation. And death and the possibility of death, I remember uh, back the, the week of mourning following the death of Kobe Bryant that rocked a nation in a way that felt like the world stood still, similar to this Damar Hamlin situation where the world, at least this weird world that we exhibit, stood still for an extended period of time and sports extends outside of this little arena that exists and kind of impacts the the grander conversation. Like these are these are stories that are leading CNN, that are leading NBC on the morning, that are leading ABC News. Like having sports kind of move out of this weird community that we inhibit into the broader society just leads to more of the world being put on pause beyond just the sports world stopping and pausing at what happened with. Damar Hamlin, the same way that the world stopped and paused uh, with the death of George Floyd and and the uh, the death of uh, Ahmaud Arbery and the the death of Breonna Taylor in the summer of 2020, the world stopped for what felt like weeks at a time as we stopped, reflected, worked through emotions and feelings um, in, in a way that felt unique and impactful comparatively to anything I've ever experienced. Now, I'm a child. In the grand scheme of things, moments like this have occurred and the world has stopped in different places. Um, And a lot of it happened in 2020, certainly. So to have that happen again from this weird arena of sports, and we're again talking about life and death situations, uh, those emotions don't go away. Those feelings don't go away. And so continuing to respect them and work through them is something that we should continue to focus on, and I want to reiterate that point from yesterday. Now that we are 24 hours removed from Damar Hamlin, the immediate impact of watching a person go into cardiac arrest on a football field and having the first NFL game ever be postponed due to a due to a medical situation with a player the the nfl games have been paused for uh, numerous other reasons or rescheduled for numerous other reasons there has never been an nfl game that has been paused or suspended as a result of a player suffering an a injury or a medical episode on the field which is crazy to think about given how many catastrophic injuries we have seen on a football field in the past and so now that we're 24 hours removed from that situation now that there is this feeling that the sports world and and by extension the the broader world outside that's coming to sports the the broader society that's moving into this sports arena because there are lessons to be learned and stories to be told as the world gets put on pause for a minute and I don't know if that's going to be two days three days four days when it came to the death of Kobe Bryant which is uniquely a sports moment but is uh, one that ended up being like the death of John Lennon where this cultural vehicle ends up moving into the broader um, society and stimulates conversation in different places so when the death of Kobe Bryant ends up being about a week of you know, the world feeling like it stood still as people grieved and mourned uh, the, the, a stressful and traumatic situation of just like, what do you mean this person who is 40 years old at the pinnacle of sports, what do you mean this superhero is dead and it just happened like that? When, when a situation like that happened with Kobe Bryant, it was about a week. Um, when it was 
what happened uh, over the summer with the, 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 the combination of deaths between Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. The world paused for weeks at a time, which I think has a broader impact than sports is able to actually influence on the cultural landscape. So I don't know how long the world is going to, the sports world is going to pause at the result of DeMar Hamlin suffering cardiac arrest on the field. The fact that it has paused for days on end now is something that I don't think I was necessarily anticipating when I first heard of administering CPR on the field. I don't think even my brain had contemplated that possibility. So while we are paused and while we are reflecting and while we're working through our emotions, what I want to add to the conversation is what are the macro level societal changes that we can instigate while we have this opportunity, while we have this change? What are the long overdue changes that now we have people's attention to focus on and can actually work to instigate change over a long period of time? And I'm not talking about short-term fixes, although short-term fixes are incredibly helpful. Damar Hamlin's um, charity which began as a toy drive and I assume is going to continue to extend to helping fund. If you've read this, uh, Tyler Dunn had a great story about DeMar Hamlin that I read in the aftermath of this. Tyler Dunn's an amazing football writer and I can't recommend his work enough. Uh, Tyler Dunn had a piece about DeMar Hamlin and trying to rebuild the community that he came from because uh, DeMar Hamlin grew up in extreme poverty. His father uh, was incarcerated for three and a half years. And um, the community that he came from, he talked about how over half the people that he grew up knowing died before the age of 18 or 21. Um, And McKee's Rocks in Pittsburgh is probably going to see some benefit as a result of all this money that has been donated in the immediate aftermath of watching DeMar Hamlin almost die. And of course, it'll also go to medical care that DeMar Hamlin will need over the rest of his life. And $5 million donated to these organizations directly to him and his charities are incredibly, incredibly helpful in the immediate fix. You can do a lot of good with those resources and instigate a lot of change with those resources. And ultimately, Hamlin and Hamlin's family will decide what to do with those resources. And so in the short term, that's a great way to instigate change and and help provide resources for a person whose life has totally been overturned and whose life could have possibly ended. And, you know, we're still hoping that there is a, a recovery in the near future, but specifically focusing on what that those resources will ultimately lead to. But in addition to DeMar Hamlin receiving donations upon donations as it relates to his charity. And again, I'm going to link the description, link in the description of this episode, the link to that charity, just in case uh, anyone does want to donate to Damar Hamlin. I know um, there have been (laughs) obviously fake charities that have been set up to trick people into donating money to certain places. So I'll post that link again, just in case anyone does want to donate in this circumstance. But I also want to talk about long-term macro-level change that can be instigated by this situation. Because whether it's what happened in the death of Kobe Bryant, which I think was difficult to instigate long-term change because of the nature of his death, but I think more specifically about social movements as it relates to the world being put on pause. Uh, You could point to what happened in the pandemic and 
the need to support uh, healthcare workers and and people who are deemed essential workers. We saw as a result, uh, stimulus packages were immediately passed. We saw some laws change that help protect immediate uh, first responders and um, and essential workers during the pandemic. You, you can see long-term change get effectuated on a macro level by something like that. Um, we could talk about macro level changes in um, police reforms in many cities as a result of what happened with George Floyd. Minnesota ended up disbanding their police department uh, at a time and in the aftermath of the death of George Floyd. You saw laws that were changed, such as the no-knock orders in uh, the state of Kentucky following the death of Breonna Taylor. You saw convictions for murder for police officers in states in which those had never been priorly convicted or had gone to trial in the first place. And we saw that uh, in the aftermath of what happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and what happened in Minnesota years later after uh, Kim Potter, a female police officer, shot Dante Wright, and they got a manslaughter conviction in 2022 under Minnesota state law. So you can see the changes that resulted from the world being put on pause, reflecting and and having small levels of change. Again, I don't think enough change was effectuated by that movement, and white people are still a big part of the problem as it relates to that specific uh, that specific social movement and the rights of black people being violated in America across not just the police. As, as not just with the police, but also with all of the systems and structures within America that are slowly being dismantled and reformed over decades and centuries in order to make up for decades and centuries of systems being in place going back to the earliest sins of America. And so three weeks of the world being on pause provided an opportunity to reflect, an opportunity to instigate change, and on a macro level, there was change that was instigated. So with the world on pause, specifically the sports world, and as I said, the the broader the broader society is coming into sports for this Damar Hamlin story, and so there is an opportunity to instigate and effectuate real meaningful change if we direct that energy and that attention to tangible changes that can be made to protect labor and to protect people like Damar Hamlin. What are some of those ways was where my mind went to today, now that the kind of immediate shock has worn off and people are at least now thinking about macro level points and uh, people of legacy media are getting their opportunities to speak relative to us hopping on a podcast in the immediate two-hour aftermath. And so there were a few things that I could point to, and, and one of them we've already articulated, which is about how to how to change the sports culture as it relates to the way that we treat athletes, the way that we treat male athletes, and the emotional responses to traumatic situations and the sports locker room that often forces you to compartmentalize stress, compartmentalize your uh, traumas, compartmentalize your tra- your struggles, and also at the same time put your body on your lo- on the line as you compete for the smallest of resources within the NFL construct and the pro football construct, in which you have millions of people competing for a few th- for about a thousand and change spots on an NFL roster. So that's something I want to talk about in a little bit. And that was the first thing that immediately came to mind. The other points that came to mind for me is what data has been saying for years about making the NFL 
a little bit safer. And I know this is like trying to make cigarettes safe or like trying to make tobacco safe. We're all talking about this within the slimmest of margins of trying to make football a little bit safer. Um, But there is data out there, not just from the, uh, not just from, uh, you know, actual medical personnel, but calls from the NFL Players Association in order to change the dimensions and the the layouts of the NFL field. And while this doesn't immediately affect the DeMar Hamlin, isn't immediately related to the DeMar Hamlin situation, this is a circumstance in which DeMar Hamlin will have an opportunity to instigate real change that has been needed for years. So I'm going to read this from uh, November of this year. Uh, This was coming after Rashawn Gary tore his ACL in a game with the Packers, and there's been complaints about the field at MetLife Stadium for a bunch of years and the slop fest of the Chicago Bears field that's about to be torn down and hasn't been had good care taken of it in a while. Um, The NFL Players Association has called for the NFL to, they have called for the NFL to to update their field and safety concerns. I'm just going to read this from Mike Florio's piece in November of 2022. NFL Players Association President J.C. Tratter, in a follow-up to his September 2020 column calling for all grass fields, By the way, the link to that is in the Mike Florio article, and the link to the Mike Florio article is in the description of this episode. J.C. Treader, in a follow-up to his September 2020 column calling for all grass fields, has more specific requests this time around. In a new item posted at the union's official website, Treader requests, one, the immediate replacement and ban of all slit film turfs. Two, no longer allowing games to be played on fields with clear visual abnormalities. Three, the raising of the field standards and testing the safety and performance of all surfaces. Four, the clearing the ex- the clearing the excess people and dangerous equipment from NFL sidelines. Treader explains as to the first item that slit film playing surfaces have higher in-game injury rates compared to all other surfaces for non-contact injuries, missing time injuries, lower extremity injuries, and foot and ankle injuries. He says that the union wrote a letter this week to the NFL demanding the immediate removal of those surfaces. Teams currently using slit film turf per Treader after the Giants, Jets, Lions, Vikings, Saints, Colts, and Bengals. The in, quote, the injuries on slit film are completely unavoidable. Both the NFL and NFLPA experts agree on the data, and yet the NFL will not protect players from a subpar surface, Treader writes. As to the second item, Treader points to the regular season games played in Tottenham, which had a giant uneven seam right above the numbers. We pointed that out in connection with the Giants-Packers game played there last month. We saw this in Chicago and Las Vegas during the preseason as well, with chunks of grass torn up. This is an embarrassment, Treader adds. Says Treader, the NFL, quote, the NFL might be quick to say something like those fields have passed the mandatory inspections. While again, this is a great PR spin, it does not address the need for safety improvements, end quote. As to the third item, Treader points out the current field standards are more than 13 years old. He notes the league and the union are currently engaged in research to, for the first time, establish new performance and safety standards that can be used for every field. Quote, until we have those standards in place, the NFL needs to be much more conservative when we have visible issues with the field, Treader asserts. The current field inspections do not account for performance and safety, so we should stop saying that these fields are safe to play on based on the fact they passed said inspection, end quote. 
As to the final point, Treader again nails it. He said that the league says every year that they will look into streamlining the clutter around the field, but that it never does, except during the pandemic. Treader's column concludes with clear messages for owners. Stop with the lip service, stop with the media spin, stop pretending you care. And if you actually do care, take the actionable steps to fix the problem our union has identified, especially those issues you actually agree on. Even if they don't care about the players as human beings, and plenty of owners simply don't, they should care about them as investments. That's the most amazing part of this. This is from Florio, by the way. Tens of millions of dollars are devoted to paying players and otherwise keeping them in right condition to perform. Why not do everything possible to give them playing surfaces that don't make it harder to stay healthy? It's ultimately a cost-benefit analysis for some owners. It will simply cost too much to improve the surfaces, and they aren't able or willing to quantify the benefits. Even if those benefits are obvious, regardless of whether the players are regarded as people or robots. So that's something that, with all of this information about what just happened to Mar Hamlin, conversations about player safety, these are actionable requests that, while not immediately related to what Demar Hamlin went through, could be solutions to help temporarily improve player safety to prevent catastrophic injuries similar to what Demar Hamlin went through, or even not similar to what Demar Hamlin went through. That would be a bonus, as if they invest resources in helping players keep their knees and ankles healthy, in addition to the catastrophic situations like what Demar Hamlin went through. Even if these, it, even if mo- the majority of these injuries that will be prevented by this don't immediately relate to Demar Hamlin, they are long overdue changes. That data shows will help improve the safety and long-term health of players, which ultimately is something that has always mattered with or without what is happening to Damar Hamlin. What Damar Hamlin provides an opportunity to do is to have conversations about this. There is also the point of making the field larger. The NFL should make the football fields larger so that there is more room on sidelines, more room for players to move across the field, and... A larger field will lead to data shows that larger field will lead to less clutter around players, which while there will be more there will be more speed type collisions like people moving at faster speeds because they have more space to roam. It will ultimately protect players because you're giving them more space to operate, which will lead to less collisions, and less collisions will resume will result in more long-term issues. Well, more collisions will also lead to less immediate impact injuries, but will also lead to long, less long-term damage because date, brain science data has shown over decades, we know this, that the repeated hits to the head and repeated hits to body parts are what cause long-lasting injuries to football players and so if you expand the field you create less of those impact collisions and as a result of less of those impact collisions you will see less long-term injuries to players the flip side to that is you will give players more space to speed up and as a result of those speeding up you will see more high impact collisions although because high impact collisions are already happening the benefits of less repeated hits will theoretically outweigh the potential high-impact hits because we see the high-impact hits in football. They don't happen as much as the repetitive hits that come as a result of playing football. And so expanding the size of the playing field is something that would be beneficial to help improve 
player safety, in addition to all of those points laid out by the NFL Players Association for improving playing surfaces that will help players' well-being. Those are two points of macro-level change that can be instigated as a result of having this this attention that has been brought to the health and well-being of players in the aftermath of what has happened to DeMar Hamlin. The third point that we could point to is expanding medical care for players. There's a great clip from Dominique Foxworth on the Mina Kimes show and him on TV that I'm going to link in the description of this episode as well talking about this. And there is a point that he brings up. I'm not going to include the clip because it requires the context uh, around the podcast. And I encourage you to listen to that after finishing this episode. That DeMar Hamlin would have to play 20 more NFL games in order to qualify for a pension. And receiving medical care from the NFL five years after his retirement. Because the way the structure is set up right now is that NFL players get... NFL employed medical employee medical care five years after their retirement if they play three years and three games. So DeMar Hamlin would have to, he's a second year player, he would have to play 20 more NFL games in order to receive five years of medical care after his retirement in addition to receiving his pension from the NFL when the day comes that he may need that pension, which might be earlier in his life as he potentially recovers from what he has experienced uh, in terms of the the trauma from suffering cardiac arrest and having to be resuscitated and being in critical condition for extended time over the past 27 hours and presumably the many hours after he leaves the hospital. And so DeMar Hamlin does not receive medical benefits or pensions from the NFL under the system that's there. Public pressure can be placed on the NFL and can be used as leverage in collective bargaining revisions as early as this offseason. The NFL can adjust the collective bargaining agreement when they so choose, and this could be a public pressure moment that the NFL will pay more money to help players uh, receive medical care after retirement. And if the public pressure is such that they will potentially lose revenue as a result of it, whether it be um, the, the consumers reducing revenue or whether it be advertisers reducing their revenues as a result of this um, DeMar Hamlin situation and public pressure to quantify change, you can actually make long-term meaningful change as early as this offseason in changing the pension programs of the NFL for players like DeMar and you can change the NFL structure of per getting the NFL medical care long longer after their retirement than just five years. These should be certainly I would be, I would be a person in an optimistic world where like medical care is done really dumbly by America, and so they should have medical care for life paid for as part of the NFL's uh, part of the NFL players agreement and part of their contracts to include medical care for the remainder of their lives, especially because NFL players are exposed to such high risk jobs. And so I think that everyone should have access to medical care in that respect. But at the same time, it's particularly important on a practical level for people in high risk jobs like football. So expanding medical care and pension programs for players is a great way to instigate change and help 
protect someone like DeMar who will probably never see an NFL field again, and it could happen just as immediate as what happened last night. So that's another change to make. Again, if you want someone more eloquent on the matter, Dominique Foxworth talked about that, and I'm going to link that in the description of this episode. And that those are the long-term changes that can be effectuated that I thought of in the immediate aftermath and read about and heard about. Um, again, the short-term resources to DeMar Hamlin's charity is a great way to instigate uh, to, to provide resources that will allow them to act to him and his family to uh, ch- to instigate change, uh, whether it be in his hometown. The Tyler Dunn article is really good too. I linked that in the description to this episode. If you want to hear the, if you want to humanize the story of Demar Hamlin, it's a really great piece that kind of explains like if you're donating money to the charity, what is that money going towards? This is a a great way to learn about exactly what that money is going towards. And so that is a great way to provide resources so that they can instigate change the way that DeMar so wishes and has wished for during his NFL career. On a macro level, you can uh, instigate the changes to improve player safety like what J.C. Treader outlined uh, in the piece, in the letter that he wrote to the NFL in November of this year and uh, what was articulated by, in that Mike Florio piece Um, You can expand the, we can start having conversations about expanding the football field in order to reduce repeated impact collisions. Data shows that this is a great way to help reduce long-term affects as a result of playing football is by just giving people more space, less collisions if you give more space. And over years of those repeated collisions, you're going to see a better you're going to see a healthier product for the people after they complete football. Data is clear on that point as well. And the the fourth point is expanding medical care for players and expanding pension programs after retirement, which can change as early as this offseason. They can go to the negotiating table in collective bargaining, revise the collective bargaining agreement in order to instigate these changes. If there is public pressure in support of the union, there's a better chance that they will get a good deal as a result of these changes. And this works for anything that can be collectively bargained. If you want to instigate change, there are ways to do so. The last point, and I mentioned this earlier, relates back to what we talked about yesterday with providing immediate relief and immediate support to people who are going through traumatic situations, which is the cultural aspects of the cultural aspects of football and the cultural aspects of vulnerability and emotions in these spaces which i think football culture has evolved in the right direction over many years hearing Dion Dawkins who's an offensive lineman for the Bills talk about taking off the armor crying with each other hugging each other and having these deep emotional moments where they're all contemplating their own existence within this place of football, I think was a great point that I think probably existed years ago. I don't know if the talking the talk backed up the walking the walk, but certainly I don't think this has gone in the opposite direction in a sport that historically has been toxically masculine and is portrayed as such. I think that as time has gone along and you've seen players who are dealing with 
uh, stresses and anxieties of just being in this insane machine that is football. Um, hearing Sean McVay and Andrew Whitworth talk about learning what panic attacks were for the first time and learning that they went through it themselves. You know, I think it's moving in the right direction. Although sports compared to like other aspects of life are incredibly silly and dumb and they don't necessarily respect emotions because there's a giant furnace of the the sport is like a giant furnace and so hearing people talk about respecting their emotions working through stress and traumatic situations and not compartmentalizing through as we talked about yesterday an incredibly stressful and traumatic situation in which you don't have information to work with and so when you don't have information to work with it's important to work through your feelings because you feel a sense of helplessness you may feel a sense of worry you may feel a sense of sadness you may be facing your own mortality any and all of combinations of emotions are valid and any and all combinations of emotions should be respected in these circumstances it's why the first thing i articulated yesterday in the aftermath of what happened with uh, demar hamlin is be a support system and and practice empathetic listening it doesn't matter whether you're right or whether you're wrong Practicing empathetic listening for someone who needs a support system, traumatic event or not, can be an incredibly, incredibly helpful skill. It will help you develop a deeper relationship with that person, and it will give the person the support they may need to work through their emotions in a healthy way and not turn to destructive forms of coping with emotions, such as painkillers, alcohol, gambling, many of the addictive forms of coping that we associate not just with former football players but with every industry and every profession this is not a uniquely football situation people experience death and trauma in all aspects of society it's where sports end up influencing it's where sports cross over into society and reflect the society at large it's a it's not that sports is exempt from society it's a microcosm of society at large these are all real validating emotions and many of the lessons that are taken from psychology and many of the lessons that are taken from social sciences and many of the lessons taken from uh taken from other culture from other cultural aspects and other um other branches of society can be applied to football within this context and so i can only speak from my own expertises and my own knowledge base as it relates to this empathetic listening in these circumstances not just in the immediate aftermath is incredibly important and hearing Dion dawkins talk about taking off the armor changing the perception of football players um you know when in 2000 the game when uh, Barry, or I don't think it was 2000, the game where Barry Sanders rushes for 2,000 yards, a player on the Detroit Lions was paralyzed on the field, and there was a 17-minute break. The ambulance took him off the field, and they resumed the game. Seeing that change from 30 years ago to this moment, which, to be fair, has very little precedent. There has not been an immediate cardiac arrest on the field like what we saw with DeMar Hamlin, Seeing the changes in the way that that's talked about and the fact that they stopped the game altogether and players were crying on the field, again, I don't feel comfy about putting that out in the immediate aftermath, but now I feel more comfortable about it now that time has been removed. I think you could point to that situation and say, these players and these people immediately impacted by it have an opportunity to be more vulnerable and respect their emotions in a way that requires time 
And yes, they're going to have to play a football game on Sunday. There's not a need to continue compartmentalizing. And I don't understand the furnace of football and how you have to compartmentalize in certain places because of how insane that game is. I don't know what goes into that. And I don't know how the Bills are going to respond in that circumstance. They'll take the time that they need, and hopefully they will have enough public pressure behind them that whatever they choose, they will decide as a team and respect each other's emotions on an individual and a collective in order to process an incredibly traumatic situation. There's not enough information to know what's going to happen or how those people are reacting to that circumstance, and I don't think that everyone will react in a healthy and a healthy way that allows them to work through their emotions with limited information after an incredibly stressful and traumatic situation. And this this is Buffalo Bills players, and this is Cincinnati Bengals players at large. I mean, T. Higgins has to be going through a lot coming out of this circumstance with limited information, being involved in something so traumatic and so stressful. The immediate, um, the immediate mo- impact of that moment when you feel stress like that is to immediately start to blame yourself. And I hope that T. Higgins has the support system to help him through that because telling T. Higgins, it's not your fault, it's not your fault, it's not your fault, that can only help but so much. The emotions are real, the emotions are valid, and through grief, T. Higgins will work through that. People who are immediately impacted by these situations will work through that. These are people who need the immediate support of the people close to them, and that's something that I hope they receive because this is an incredibly stressful and traumatic situation, and as we've seen through stories beyond sports, this these moments can swallow people. These moments can, when you don't know how to cope and you don't know how to deal with these situations, these moments can absolutely swallow people. And so I hope that for people immediately impacted by this, there is that support even days, weeks after this has happened as the Buffalo Bills head towards a, a playoff run in which I look at them and say they have to win this year. This is their best chance to win, and they have to get it done this year. The immense pressure of everything you've been building towards in your season, your life, and for the Buffalo Bills going back four years of losing that playoff game, making it to the AFC Championship with Josh Allen turning his career around and getting smoked by Kansas City, being 11 seconds away from going to the AFC Championship last year, and then having Josh Allen never see the field again. For everything Buffalo has gone through the last four years to put them in this situation where now they have to add this on, that can swallow a person. That's incredibly, incredibly difficult to work through when your entire professional career has been building towards this moment and now you lump the stress and trauma of watching a player suffer cardiac arrest 15 feet away from you with limited information to work on. That is a lot to deal with. That is incredibly difficult, and I feel for those people going through that circumstance. Cincinnati Bengals and Buffalo Bills players at large, and football players at large. We can extend this out to football players who are not immediately impacted by this and are watching it and have a deeper personal connection than the fans who are feeling afflicted or the Buffalo fans who went to the stadium and held a prayer circle for DeMar Hamlin 
all of the people who are personally affected, past and present players who have a deeper connection, even if they weren't immediately involved, those are people who are working through deep, intense emotions right now. And as a result of that, it's incredibly important to have those support systems. And you listening right now can be a support system for someone in that circumstance because it doesn't just take Buffalo Bills players and Cincinnati Bills, uh, Cincinnati Bengals players to have a situation like that. People, if you, that people are looking for an outlet, maybe it's someone you know personally, maybe it's someone you see on social media. People are looking for an outlet for their stress and their trauma, and someone in your life probably needs you to be empathetic listener person. And the easiest way to seek that out is to ask someone how they are doing and genuinely care about what the answer is. Ask someone how their day is going and genuinely care about what they have to say. Ask questions and be an empathetic listener. That can be an incredible support system for someone who you may not know, they just might not have that in their lives. So this can apply on a broader sense and can actually effectuate meaningful change that really makes a deep impact and a profound impact on people's lives. Just being an empathetic listener and being available is an incredibly healthy way to support people in a moment like this, whether it's DeMar Hamlin related or not. This just provides a microcosm for a macro level human experience that happens every single day. We just get to see it in front of us. We get to see it documented on camera like we saw during the Buffalo Bills and Cincinnati Bengals game. We saw it documented on camera. We saw people working through those emotions in real time. And we're still going to see them because the cameras aren't going to go away once those players return to the field. We got those moments that help effectuate change because people are pausing, reflecting, and wanting to do better. And working through their emotions in a way that might effectuate real meaningful change. And like I said, there's a lot of stress involved in this. There's a lot of trauma and a lot of emotions for people personally afflicted by these situations. And it can swallow people. It is lesser events have swallowed people and being an empathetic listener can genuinely change someone's life. Being a support system for someone can genuinely change someone's life. And if you're someone who needs a support system, I hope that you have that person in your life. And if you feel like you don't, you can always reach out to me. I don't know what I can do to support you, but you can definitely reach out to me either on this podcast space or any of my social medias that are available with links in the description to this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We will continue to work through this story as developments continue and uh, perhaps as the sports world continues to remain on pause as a result uh, of the genuflecting that has gone on in the aftermath of what's happened to Damar Hamlin. So we will reconvene tomorrow. And in the meantime, effectuate change today and going forward. And of course, as always, take it easy.